All right. Well, if you uh, like to open up to the book of Ephesians. So Ephesians, and uh, we'll start in chapter 1. I just want to start in verse 3. Blessed be, this is the ESV here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And this is our text here. Uh, We'll just look at 2 through 7. And you were dead in the... passes and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable, immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And the title of my message here today is... What a marvelous change. Uh, What a marvelous change God has brought. And, you know, this is a familiar text to us. I mean, many of us, probably without even having to memorize it, could almost quote it. 
this text, but you know we don't want to lose the glory of this text as well. You know this is this is very glorious. This text we see a contrast here. You know verse one through three, it's like the black picture. You know the the darkness in the sky, how dark it is, how lost, how bad it really was in our lost condition. And then as you go through, we'll just look at four through seven. It's like these uh, beautiful stars that shine. Uh, very beautiful amid the, the darkness, right? And so we're going to think about that. Who we, who we were, it first goes on to say. So this is talking to Christians, right? You were this way. That's the, it's speaking past tense. You're not this way anymore, but you were this way. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You once walked. It's past tense. In verse 3, we all once lived. Verse 3 again, we we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And let's just think about that. Let's kind of paint the picture here that we might, you know, appreciate 4 through 7. We're dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins. That is spiritually dead, uh, dead to God, dead, dead to righteousness, separated from God and unable to, re- to respond no relationship with God without God and without God in the world. Not only unable, but unwilling to respond to the true God. Dead in sins and trespasses. You know, sin and trespasses in the Bible. You know, that is a very horrible thing, right? To sin against God. It's not a small thing. It's not something that we say that, well, we all did it. You know, so it's kind of like it's not a big deal. It's serious offenses, Against the holy God, we were dead in those things, in in our trespasses and sins, and we were walking in that, you know, in which you in which you once walked. Meaning that word to walk, you know, like it's basically describing just your your life, your daily life, your your conduct, the manner of and kind of life in which you lived was one that was dead in sin, right? So though we were dead in sin spiritually. I mean, we were moving about this world, right? We were breathing, we were thinking, but dead in sin, without God in the world. And I know that there in the NAS it says, according to this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, you know, the ESV puts in there following. It's just kind of bringing out that idea that dead in sin and we're moving about in this world here, uh, following the prince of the power of the air. But we were dead in sin, um, walking in that according according to this world. You know, the world that the Bible says is on this broad way that leads to destruction. You know, you're going off to uh, destruction, the abyss, uh, you know, unto unto hell. And we were going in the same. We were going in the same way. Humanity apart from God, going astray from God, not seeking God, and we were on the very same path we were like the world as it's described in in scripture we were living in the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life those things that the father was was against uh, we we love those things those things which he hates that we love those very things we we were in this world just like everybody else this self-centered world uh, the self-seeking world we were we were right in among them, right, rubbing shoulders with them. According to the prince of the power of the air is another a- aspect of it, right? That this prince of the power of the air, we know that is the the devil. He's called the devil specifically there in chapter four, also in uh, chapter six. But here he's called 
the prince of the power of the air, right? I mean, that's something to think about right there. I mean, just looking, looking back when you were lost to really think about it and just think, I was, I was actually following the devil when I was lost. I was walking in according with his, in accordance with his path. You, many of us, we didn't, we had no idea maybe that some of us, maybe we did know, but yet, what a description there, the God of this world, the, the God who, the devil's kingdom, this, this kingdom of darkness, this rule of darkness, this, his rule that we were, we were under that, under the dominion of sin. He was at work in us, even it says, it, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, that in some way there is some influence and guidance going on there, being led by the hand at, as it were. By the devil himself, the whole world, like it says in First John, lying under the, the power of the evil one. And we were right there in the same thing, blinded to the glory of Christ, like we see there in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 4. And what a description there. And we were, living, we were living in the passions of our flesh, among whom we all, all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. You know, it may have looked different for each one of us, right? We know over in script, like in Titus, it talks about, for we were our, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and, and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating by one another. This slaves to various passions and pleasures. It looked different for, for each one of us, right? Some of us, you know, you're, you're walking according to, you know, being dead in sin under the prince of the power of the air. It may have been very outward to where people could look and see, wow, look at all that sin in that person's life. But it also may have been very hidden, right? I mean, you may, and it also, there are place, there is a reality that some of us grew up in a a Christian home or whatever, so there was some kind of influence there, there was discipline there, you know, we're all, there was common grace and different levels in each one of our lives, but the root was the same, right, whatever the case, dead in sin, living in, living in that, living according to the prince of the power of the air, you know, when you read, and it says the passions of our flesh, you know, that's not saying like, wow, what kind of sin was that, you know, if you, you describe somebody, I was living according to the passions of my flesh. They might think, were you like on drugs or something like that? But we know better than that, right? It, it includes so many different types of sins, sexual immorality. I mean, just to be an argumentative person, a proud person, a self-righteous person, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, jealousies, all these different things, you know, are, are summed up in that. And it's interesting that Paul himself says, we all once lived. Paul himself said that. So Paul, who was, uh, who was the Pharisee, right, the Pharisee of Pharisees, you would have looked at Paul and said, that's, that's a godly man right there. That's a man devoted to God, but he includes himself in this description, what we're looking at. Now, some have said that, yeah, when he said, because he starts out at one and two, you were dead, and then he transitions, we were doing this, kind of maybe saying that, okay, here he's talking to the Gentiles, and now here he's summing up that the Jew and Gentile are both under sin, uh, like he did there in Romans. But, what you know, that would make sense as you go on there in chapter 2 when he talks about, you know, how 
this dividing wall has been abolished in Christ and that. But whatever the case, I mean, just to point out, Paul is saying that about himself, a religious guy. That means that, you know, even if you were grew up in the church, as somebody would say, before you were converted, this, this Ephesians passage, 1 through 3, is describing who, who you were. It's interesting, you know, even we know Christ, you know, he looked at the most religious people of his day and he said, you're of your father, uh, the devil, right? He called them children of the devil. And that's who we are before we come to Christ, whatever it may have looked like, slaves to sin, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, right? The, the mind in scripture oftentimes uh, connected with the heart, right? Jesus said in Mark 7 that out of the heart, come uh, evil thoughts and out of the heart come adulteries and these sorts of things that carrying out the desires of the, of the body and the mind that our body we might say our body moved according to the sinful heart and mind which we possess that we were just moving along is yes we were restrained by common grace and by authority and all that sort of thing but we were going hard after sin and it was just in this slavery that that we were Living in that, we our mind set on the flesh. We knew, we know from Scripture it was hostile to God, does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. That was our description: enemies of God. And it says that we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. You know, children of wrath. In the Scripture, you know, you'll say like children of darkness. It's it's identity. It's describing this is who you are. Or it's the Christian is a child of light. This is who you are. But here it says, talking about who we were before God saved us, a child, a child of wrath. I mean, what a description, meaning that you, this is your identity, is that you were under the wrath of God, right? The wrath of God abided on us. You know, think, don't think just because that we were the elect, right, that we weren't really under the wrath of God before God saved us. I mean, this text clears that up that God's wrath really was upon us and before God applied, you know, redemption to us individually. But what a description there, a child of wrath. Like the rest of mankind, it says, too. I mean, what a, what a sweeping statement about mankind, right? It's not that us Christians, we have our little belief over here, and that's kind of what we believe, but here we know in this text this is a sweeping statement that covers everybody on the face of the planet that's ever lived and that will ever ever live, right? Children of wrath. I mean, that's the state. That's the state of mankind. None is righteous. And, you know, and if, if you're not a Christian today, you know, it doesn't matter if you're in a Christian home or whatever. Or, uh, it doesn't matter if you would, you would, quote, call yourself maybe like a seeker or whatever it is. I mean, verse 1 and 3, it's describing who the Christian used to be. But it is, we could take it like this, that it is describing who you presently are without Christ. That if you are without Christ, that you are dead in sin, you are walking according to this world presently, right now. You are following the prince of the power of the air. You, he's at work within you. You're living in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of your body and your mind, and you're actually a child, a child of wrath. But it doesn't have to be that way, right? I mean, you can trust Christ. You know, the way has been opened for you to be saved. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you know, whoever does that will be saved. But this text is written to Christians, right? And we've been thinking about if you're a Christian, this is what this message is for, 
that who we were, this black picture, right? What a, what a dark description. You know, what, what lostness that was, what a state we were in, what a condition under the, the power of sin and Satan in bondage, under the wrath of God. And then we see in verse 4, right? But God. But God, the, re- the rescuing God, the God who comes to, you know, lift people up out of the miry clay, the God who seeks and, and saves the lost, this God being rich in mercy. So now here's the, here's the black backdrop, how bad it was, and you see the contrast. Now we're moving on, 4 and 7. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So can you see why I titled the the message uh, A Marvelous Change? I mean, what a change that is. I mean, totally totally different and we know who is the hero of the of this reality right i mean it is god himself the the savior god coming after his people the rescuer and notice how when it talks about when it goes on to talk about who we are now in christ it again it's talking about made it's talking past tense right and it's important to realize that these descriptions of what we're looking at what we're going to look at are present realities. Like this has happened, you know, to the Christian. We have been made alive. We, we have been raised up. Uh, we, we are seated with Christ right now. And we do experience that, but it's helpful to realize, even when you don't feel it, that this is a reality, what we're going to talk about here. It says that this is, so here's the change, the marvelous change. He made us alive together with Christ. I mean it's simply it's simply regeneration, right? I mean God God made us alive. He gave us new hearts. He took out the heart of stone, gave the heart of flesh. He's made us born again. Uh, the Christian has experienced a real resurrection. So here specifically here in Ephesians, you notice it when it's talking about our union with Christ, how you know, we know union with Christ, his death was our death, his life was our life. It doesn't specifically mention his death here in this text necessarily like as clearly as it does in other places. The highlight here is more like on this resurrection, this being raised up with him. It's Saint Paul's emphasizing that this and the Christian has received as as this has happened to them we have been spiritually resurrected right the things that physically happened to christ uh, as far as his resurrection that we have been spiritually raised now we will one day be physically raised yes that that is true but the emphasis in this text is that we've been spiritually raised right now we've been made alive together with christ to make alive, to impart life. That's what he, that's what he did. And then it says to rate, he raised us up with him. You know, so you might think that possibly this is just another way of saying that, you know, he made us alive and he raised us up with him. Sometimes Paul does seem to talk like that. He might use two different, you know, uh, phrases to say the same thing like he did over in Titus, for example, when he's talking about uh, being, being made alive in that. But here I think, you know, Lloyd Jones. Lloyd Jones, I think, is right. I, I didn't really understand this, but just looking at what he said, 
I think he is right. He said that at times Paul will mention just kind of like in brief something that he has explained more deeply elsewhere. And he would say this about this phrase here, this raised up with him. And where Paul explained it more in depth elsewhere would be in Romans in Romans chapter 6. So just, just quickly here, you don't have to go there, but get this idea here that we were buried therefore with him in baptism unto death. This Romans chapter 6 verse 4. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised, there's our word there, raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So it has to do this being raised up with him. seems like Lloyd-Jones is right here that it does have to do with this life that comes having, after having been made alive with him, this newness of life. We know that the Christian is walking, right? We've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We walk, you know, not perfectly, but the basic pattern of our life is one of holiness and righteousness. We're following the master now. Right, we're not no longer under the dominion of sin. We're in a whole new realm now. We're walking this newness of life. God is conforming us more to be like Christ. We're alive to God now. Have this communion with God, prayer. You know, we see glory in Christ now. This newness of life coming out of the Christian. That the life that Christ, you know, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. You know, it's like we're in the same way as Christ is alive unto God. We, we are alive unto him as well. And it says that you actually must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Meaning that is, I mean, that's a reality. We, though we struggle, though we struggle with sin and things, right? I mean, this book even talks about different struggles. We need to put on the new man. You know, we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're in hand-to-hand combat with the devil. This reality, we need to put off sin and all that. But we are walking in, in newness of life. We're not under that dominion anymore. We're now under the dominion of Christ. And we're, we've, been raised, we've been raised up with him. And it says that we've also been seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, you know, the heavenly places here, you know, places isn't necessarily, uh, they kind of add that for emphasis, could just say in in the heavenlies, and if you look here, I think it's obvious, if you look back, we don't, in verse 20, ver, uh, chapter 1, verse 20, it's obvious that he's talking about as Christ, uh, this heavenly places here is heaven itself, uh, where Christ is, we've been raised up with him, I think it is different. Then over in chapter 6 when it says the heavenly places where that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and powers, you know, in the heavenly places. That's more like the realm down here, this unseen realm where the devil is the king or devil is the god of this world, that sort of thing. But being raised up with Christ here is that we are seated with him in heaven. We know that after he he. Uh, purchased us, right? And then he was resurrected and he ascended. He, sit, he sat down at the right hand of the Father in that place of completion, right? Like after making purifications for sins, like it says in Hebrews, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, right? That, that our high priest, you know, the true high priest who lives forever sits down, right? Meaning that the work has been done, the cross work 
has been accomplished. It, it is finished. And the Christian is presently seated with him in that way, in that place of victory, right? That we are united with him. And that cross work, that victory is our victory, right? That's our reality. That's, that's, our, that's our identity there. And, and, you know, you're thinking about, you know, what a change, right? You think about how low we were. How low was it really? How bad was it? so low, and now how high we are in Christ. You know, what, what a change that was. You know, you think about over there in Psalm 113, it says he raises, he raises the poor from the dust and seats the, uh, to seat them with princes. You know, that's like taking them out of the dust, this low estate, and putting them in the place of royalty. But we, we get, we're higher even than that there in Psalm 113, right? Because we're not just seated with princes. Uh, we're seated with the king of kings, and with the Lord of Lords, and, that, and this is real. And possibly here this idea of being seated is uh, the place of promised victory. Um, if not here, it's definitely taught elsewhere in Scripture that as all things have been put under Christ's feet, we don't yet see all things in subjection to him, right? That there, there is coming a day that all things are being summed up in Christ. There's going to be, come a day when all the enemies of God are eradicated, the new heavens and the new earth is going to come. And everything that's been touched by sin and, and the fall is going to be restored unto him, this place, of, this place of victory, that we also are going to partake in that. Possibly that's there. I'm not exactly sure, but it's a truth we know in Scripture. There may be other aspects in this text, uh, but I'm just kind of limited in that. But these are definitely things I think we should consider, though, when we look at it. This place of victory and possibly here a place of, or this place of completion in the cross but also this place of promised victory. So we went, we went from worst to best, right? I mean, we went from the complete opposite, a marvelous change, and it was God who did it. And what motivated God to do it here? It was his mercy, his pity, you might say. You know, what is that? Pity, mercy, you know, this word, an attitude or emotion roused by the affliction of another. God looked out, helpless estate, and like I'm gonna, I pity them. I feel sorry for them, and I'm gonna go and rescue those people. And it's interesting that it's not that the love of God, you know, started once you got in in Christ. So, that, but it was that God loved you, and so that He put you in Christ. That's that's helpful to realize as well. This mercy, this great love, with which He loved us. We know it was all of grace, right? Even when Paul is talking here, he's like, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, it's like, you know, somebody, like you got a promotion at work, and it's like you were doing a really bad job. And they're like, even when I was working that bad, they gave me a promotion. You, you know, we say that like emphasis, like, but here Paul is like, it's like Paul is like, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, he made us alive. Like, how did this happen? You know, what has happened here? And what was it? I mean, of course, it was grace, undeserved, unmerited, just God, just being merciful to us. Grace, we've been saved. That's the emphasis as we go on down through, you know, even if you go to 8, and if you look back in chapter 1, verse 6, you know, to the praise of his glorious grace. I mean, we think about his love in this way. I mean, the hymn writers say it, you know, could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies a parchment made? Where every stalk and earth a quill and every man ascribed by trade to write the love of God above, 
would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. And marvelous grace, matchless grace, grace that is greater than all of our sin. And in verse 7, we see this grace that will uh, never come to an end. There in verse 7, God's, we see in verse 7, God's grace and love are so vast and wide that all of eternity will be spent showing us the riches of them. They're inexhaustible. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's a snapshot or a, a kind of a little taste, foretaste of what it's going to be like in glory, right? That what is going to happen in glory throughout all the endless ages for millions and millions and millions and forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That what it, what's going to be God showing us the riches of, the, of his kindness and grace that he had on us in Christ. That shows us that he, there's a lot more to know about God's grace. You do not got it all figured out. We need to keep praying. That's why I think Paul is praying. It's so deep and wide and vast. He's praying for these Ephesians. That could probably tell you all about it like many of us in this church could, right? But he's praying for them. More light, Lord, right? More light upon these things. Help them to know these things. Help them to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Because we're talking about immeasurable riches, as it says here in our ESV. We're talking about surpassing riches in the NAS, exceeding riches of his, of his grace and kindness towards us. It's a lot more deeper than we know, right? And it's interesting that he says, in the coming ages, in the coming ages, it's emphasis one brother pointed out there. Because you know it says up there in verse 21, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. This age, then there's one to come. Like there, here's two ages, right? But it's not that when he's talking about ages that he's trying to give us some you know, explanation. Well, there's actually more than the age to come and all this. No, it's a way of speaking. It's a way of emphasis. I believe it's somewhere else in the scriptures as well. It's, an, it's a way to express forever and ever and ever and ever and ever in a day, right? This endless age, that what's going to happen in eternity, God's manifesting his love for us. What could be some application for us in these things? Well, we need to, and I'll go through these quickly here. We just need to realize who we are not anymore, right? That we are not anymore dead in sin. We are not walking according to the course of this world. We're not under the prince of the power of the, of the air anymore. We're not a son of disobedience. We're not living in the passions of our flesh, caring about the desires and the, and the mind. We are not a, ch- a child of wrath. That is, we are not that anymore, and that will never change. For the Christian. And we need to also realize who we are, right? I mean, every, you know, the devil will try to tell you who you are. You know, your own maybe failing, your estimation of yourself might try to tell you who you are, but it's probably better, it's probably better to side with God on these things, right? That realize who you are. We're alive. You say, who am I? I'm alive. I'm raised. I'm seated. I'm in, I'm in Christ. Though I have, yeah, I need to put on the new man, I am the, which I do that by realizing I am the new man, right? It's all wrapped up together. I wrestle against fle- not against uh, flesh and blood, but against the devil himself and all the principalities and all that. But yet, my identity does not change, right? And that's a huge way 
realizing your identity in Christ, how you live the Christian life. You could see this text personal. We need to see it that way. God did this for me, right? He loved me and gave himself for me. This te- he came for my rescue, but also we could see it corporately as well, right? That those of us in this place that are true Christians, this has happened to us, that uh, we're trophies of grace. You know, it's, I mean, marvelous, a marvelous thing has happened to us, a marvelous change. And we ought to glory in these texts. This text is practical. This is not just some, you put this on the shelf once you, and go on to the practical thing of the day-to-day grind or whatever. This is part of the day-to-day grind, right? Realizing your identity, going through trials, these big overarching themes of who we are and what God has done is to be the help, right? We need to see the wonder of, of it all. We need to pray Ephesians 1 and pe- pray Ephesians 3. That ought to fill us with day-to-day gratitude in this way. And brethren, we ought to reckon it to be true even when you're not seeing the glory of this text. Even when you don't feel it, right? Don't let, don't think you have to feel it to believe it, right? I mean, I realize we need experience. I realize there's a sense in that we need that reality, yes. But also you can take it as just thus says the Lord, this is real, even though I feel pulled in so many different directions right now, this is who I really am. And ought to be for our humility as well. You know, you think about any kind of grace in your life, remember one through three. I mean, how bad was it? If you are if you're gifted, we're all we're all gifted or whatever, you know, in the Lord. God gives us maturity as we grow and all that. But there can be temptations to kind of like boast in those things or whatever or find your identity in that. But it's like, remember one through three. I mean, this how bad was it? That can keep you humble as well. And focus on this grace ahead of us. The coming ages that are coming, our salvation nearer than when we first believed. These coming ages, what's coming, brethren? That's what it's going to, where the Lamb's all the glory uh, in Emmanuel's land, that pl- where he still bears the wounds as a continual remembrance of what he's done, it's big. I mean, it's going to be, you're not, it's not going to get old in eternity, right? It's going to keep on seeing glory in, in that. Let's pray together. Lord, we just pray that you would show us the glory of these things and help us, Lord, to see the glory of your salvation. We praise you, Lord, for for a full salvation. Lord, we praise you, Lord, that we can gaze upon glory. We don't have to be bound by how our co-workers would think about the day or, or anything like that or how the world would think about this life. But, Lord, we thank you that we can taste of heaven, that, Lord, we can set our mind on things above and not on things of the earth. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to do that. Show us more of the glory of Christ, the glory of what it means to be in him. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.